On October 13, 1997, Julie Ray woke to a sound from her 10-year-old boy Joel's bedroom. When she looked, she did not see Joel and a man in a ski mask lunged from the darkness. Julie, a black belt in Taekwondo, struggled with the masked man as he escaped to the backyard, slamming her head on the ground before fleeing into the night. Julie banged on her neighbor's door asking for help and saying that Joel was gone. When Sheriff Deputy Dennis York searched the house, he found Joel between the bed and the nearby wall, his pajamas soaked in blood. He had been stabbed 12 times. Despite her own injuries and the minuscule amount of Joel's blood found in her shirt, authorities came up with the theory that there was no intruder and that Julie was responsible for the death of her own son. After a bumbling tunnel vision investigation, searching only for evidence of Julie's guilt and coming up empty, prosecution resorted to using blood spatter analysis, a known junk science. Their experts testified anyway, employing no actual demonstration, that the bloodstains were consistent with Julie wielding the murder weapon. Julie was sentenced to 65 years in prison and subjected to the abuse that befalls a person who murdered their own child. Just two years later, a serial child murderer facing the death penalty for a nearly identical crime and who was linked to many other similar crimes confessed to being the masked man from Julie's version of events. His confession was corroborated and she was acquitted at her retrial in 2006 and formally exonerated in 2010. All of this was made possible with the help of the Center on Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University and most notably staff attorney Karen Daniel, to whom this episode is lovingly and respectfully dedicated. Karen was a pioneer in the innocence movement and a hero to many. She passed away on December 26, 2019. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Plom. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. I'm your host, and I'm here today with a woman who I am really kind of in awe of, to put it mildly. Julie Ray is a person of incredible integrity, strength, and purpose, I would say. And she is an exoneree from Illinois who was wrongfully convicted of the murder of her own son. Uh, Julie, I'm very happy you're here. I'm obviously sorry you have to be here, but I'm happy you're here. Thank you, Jason. And with Julie is a guy named Ron Safer. Ron is a partner at Riley Safer Homes in Cancilla. And Ron is a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois. And moreover, he does work today for the Center of Wrongful Convictions at the Northwestern University's Pritzker School of Law. And he's a colleague and a dear friend of the late, great Karen Daniel, who we'll speak to you about, to whom we'll pay tribute later in this episode. So, Ron, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. It's a pleasure to be here. So... Yeah, it's a sigh because um, I'm going to go back to the beginning. I read uh, Julie's story when she was on the cover of the New York Times magazine. And the headline was, she was exonerated of the murder of her son. Her life is still shattered. And with that, it's one of the most powerful pictures I've ever seen. Let me just say that. You can look it up yourselves. But it was, um, there was so much pain and so much much more to it than that in this photograph. I, I just thought... This is someone I, you know, if I can do anything to share her story or to uh, help in any way, I'm committed to do it. So, Julie, going back to the beginning, can you take us through what your life was like before this happened? I mean, you were a woman of of tremendous potential and someone who had accomplished a, a great deal, a black belt in Taekwondo, a doctoral student. Well, the black belt in Taekwondo is kind of a joke, but it was something Joel and I did together, which was really fun. Well, you were working towards your doctorate in educational psychology, right, at the time that everything went completely haywire. Can you just talk to us a little bit of how you chose that field? And that's a hell of a thing to take on when you're, you know, raising a child, you know, as a single mom. It was um, a perfect fit. It gave me time to be there for Joel, a flexible schedule. School was a good match for me. Um, I really enjoyed graduate work, and the field was very interesting. I had wonderful mentors, and uh, I had a plan on a career in academia, which would give me a chance to research things I loved and was interested in. It would give me an excellent environment for Joel. He was brilliant and intrigued with learning. Joel and I enjoyed the life that we had at the time. We had a lot of extracurricular activities and friends. We had a great neighborhood and um, community where we lived. We were doing a lot of fun things together and just really looking forward to the next part of our lives together. I remember things that Joel and I used to like to do before everything changed. I remember sitting 
by the door when it was storming and listening to the rain while we were reading. And his favorite soup was chicken noodle, so he had chicken noodle. And I like tomatoes, so I had tomato. Just so many good memories of all the things we were doing in our lives at that time. <laughs> I remember I can't sing to save my life. And Joel kind of inherited some of that ability from me. But we would drive through and get tacos from this one place. It was actually a little tavern. It was a very small town, so we had limited options. And on this one night of the week, they had these great tacos, and they had a drive through And then we would drive through and get a hot fudge sundae, and we had done that. We were coming home from taekwondo, and <laughs> we were singing. I don't know what that song is. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight with the windows down. And it was just a really happy time. So much was going right. So much was going right. And Ron, if I can turn this over to you, because I know this is borderline impossible for Julie to discuss, um, but can you share some of the details of this case? Um, you know, what happened and how this all went so horribly wrong? Sure. Julie and Joel were together in Julie's home, and in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., an intruder came into the home. Julie didn't hear him. He is somebody who has broken into homes and trailers across the country without being heard. He was a serial murderer and somebody very skilled at this, and so he was not heard. He came into Joel's bedroom, stabbed him to death, and pushed him off the bed. Julie awoke to some sound, and she looked across from her bed into Joel's bedroom and saw that he was not in the bed. And so she woke herself up, started going towards his bedroom, and banged into somebody in the hallway. It was Tommy Lynn Sells who she banged into. And the knife that he held was found right there where Julie said they banged into each other. He then sought to leave the house. Julie grabbed onto his legs. Now, again, Julie doesn't know what's going on. All she knows is that Joel's not in his bed. So you can imagine what a flood of thoughts anybody would have at that time. So she doesn't know what's going on. But she grabs onto this guy for dear life. He drags her along the carpet, and indeed she has rug burns on her knees from that. He breaks away, gets into the garage where there is another door to the outside. Julie once again grabs onto him because he's having trouble getting out of that back door. He breaks the glass to get out of the back door. And... Julie grabs onto him, again for dear life, thinking that he's the only link to Joel. And he drags her along. She has scrapes on the top of her feet from being dragged across the glass that is broken from that door. He goes out into the backyard. She's holding on, has grass stains from that. He then takes her head, smashes it into the ground, and walks off. Julie immediately went to a neighbor's house and they called the police and the police 
found Joel's, at that point, dying body. And from there, you know, of course, the universe has changed. And everything that happened from that minute that I started that narrative until Julie got out of jail years later went wrong. And this one, I mean, even for me, this one is absolutely mind-boggling um, because it not only didn't make sense, it couldn't have made sense. You have nothing to pin this on Julie. And in fact, there's every arrow pointing directly at an intruder. Of course, back then, nobody knew who it was. That comes clear later in the story when he actually confesses. Right. The case agent testified under my cross-examination ultimately that everyone, people who liked Julie, people who didn't like Julie, everyone told him that Julie and Joel had a good and loving relationship. This was a quote. He could not find anyone who would say that she raised her voice to him, let alone her hand. So why would anybody think that somebody who is a PhD candidate in educational psychology with a good and loving relationship with her son and a good and caring person would do something like this? And no prior history of violence or mental issues or anything none, else. Quite, none. Quite the none. opposite, actually, right? So exactly. in order to get to where we're trying to figure out how, I don't know if we'll ever really know why, the authorities in this case chose to pin this on Julie. Julie had just lived through a scene from the worst horror movie that anyone could ever see. Every parent's worst nightmare. So Julie, if you can talk about it, from there, you weren't arrested then and there. This was something that took time to wind its way through. And at some point, they decided to develop a narrative, maybe just because they couldn't figure it out, that involved you. But you've spoken to me and in the article about what your life was like in the aftermath of this horror? Well, in defense of the police, I mean, I think that they were poorly trained. I think that they didn't know what to do. It was a small town. They weren't used to handling these kinds of crime scenes. They showed up, mishandled the evidence horribly. I mean, where there were hair and fiber evidence opportunities, they lost them. They actually ruined them. They picked up the quilt that Joel had been under and took a picture of themselves destroying evidence and then showed that picture in court as though they were proud of it. That is the level of incompetence. And they did not take fingerprints. They, for whatever reason, decided that because the way the glass broke and fell on the floor or the ground, that it was broken out, like I told them, the man had broken the glass out, that they didn't think that was reasonable, which I don't know what is reasonable when you have somebody coming into a home and killing someone. He did use a knife from my home, and they didn't fingerprint around the knife block that they took the knife from. I guess they thought that I, I really have no clue what they thought. I, I just don't know. I thought 
they were trying to solve the crime. I thought they were trying to catch the person. I was in shock. I was in denial. When you're in shock, you look for ways to fix things. I thought if I helped them, maybe somehow we could fix what had happened. I don't, I don't know. So I just talked to them and tried to answer all their questions. I had no idea that they could possibly consider me a suspect. I mean, they actually came to me at one point and said that they had satellite photos. And I was thrilled to death. Because if they had satellite photos, then we had evidence that we could use to catch the person that did this. And so we went back and forth for quite a long time because there were no satellite photos. And they thought they were going to catch me in some kind of a lie or confuse me or, or trip me up or something. So they kept moving the information around, like, no, the satellite photos are only of a certain part of the yard. And so I would say, oh, okay, well, that's fine. And, you know, just broaden the scope of whatever you've got, you know, or look at the different time periods. He had to have moved through that part of the yard at some point. And they had no satellite photos. (laughs) At that point, I had no idea cops would lie. You know, I was looking for some real information. I mean, the kind of person that does something like this is going to do it again. That's a key point. I'm glad you brought that up because as citizens, all of us want to see a person like Tommy Lynn Sells apprehended and brought to justice as quickly as possible because everyone's at risk if not. And, of course, we know from case after case that when the wrong person is pursued, ultimately arrested, and then charged. They stop looking for the right person. In this case, the right person was a serial killer named Tommy Lynn Sells. And I think you're right to point out the training. This was a small town, right? So it's reasonable to assume that these officers didn't have a great deal of experience investigating crimes as serious as this one. But the fact that they didn't even dust the bedroom or the butcher block, as you said, for fingerprints, that they didn't preserve critical trace evidence from Joel's bedspread, The fact that from the beginning they focused on you and and any blood that you might have tried to wash away, right? They dug up the septic tank. They dug up the septic tank. They did all kinds of things. And they didn't bother to give us this information at the time. But apparently the first officer on the scene threw up on the scene. Wow. I mean, at exactly a time when you should have been receiving nothing but care and support. And they're, you know, instead hunting you and, and trying to pin this thing on you. Okay, but let me inject a little bit of experience into this. I was a prosecutor. These were not only local police. They were the Illinois State Police. These people had experience. Where this went off the rails was where cases all too often get off the rails. They did not believe Julie from the first second. And often when children are murdered, parents become suspects for whatever reason, these officers jumped to a conclusion and then took steps that resulted in confirmation of that conclusion. That is, they concluded that Julie did it with no evidence, no reason, but they did. Therefore, why fingerprint? Because her fingerprints are going to be all over the place. Why preserve fibers? Because... 
her fibers are going to be all over the place. And then they say, well, there's no evidence of an intruder. Of course there's no evidence of an intruder. You destroyed or did not capture any of the evidence of the intruder. So when you view the evidence and then either fail to create it or destroy the evidence that is counter to the way you view it, then you have a self-fulfilling prophecy. And by the way, you mentioned the investigation went on for years. What happened is they investigated, 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 got, of course, no evidence that Julie committed the crime because she didn't, asked her to take a polygraph. She took a polygraph, passed the polygraph. They investigated some more, asked her to take a second polygraph. She passed the second polygraph. The local prosecutor would not indict me. He said, there's no evidence. I'm not going to indict her. So they got a special prosecutor and brought him in. Ed Parkinson was a state prosecutor. He came from the special prosecutor's office, appellate prosecutor's office. They indicted with a grand jury, and he promised that he would tell the grand jury if they asked that I had passed two polygraphs. Not only did he not give them that information, he himself, who was conducting the grand jury, testified by saying, when they asked, did she take a polygraph, he said, out of fairness to the defendant, I will not answer that question. We won't give you that information. Yeah. Implying I had not passed polygraphs. Do you feel that at this point, and you're really a perfect person to answer this, that the people in, in position to make these decisions knew that they were prosecuting an innocent woman? I think that the prosecutors, if I had to guess, didn't care. I think he certainly misled the jury and didn't care one way or the other. The local police, I'm not sure if they knew, but they ignored all of the evidence to the contrary. For example, Julie put together a sketch of the intruder. The local bus station person called the police and said, hey, that guy was just here. He purchased a bus ticket to Winnemucca, Nevada, a tiny town. He didn't have enough money. I gave him the ticket anyway. I wanted him out of here. He gave a horrible vibe. And she called the police and told them that. Where was Tommy Lynn Sells arrested at one point? Winnemucca, Nevada. What is between Winnemucca, Nevada and where he bought that bus ticket? Springfield, Missouri, where two days after he murdered Joel, he murdered a little girl named Stephanie Mahaney. The police knew that. The police ignored that. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon Serum. This next-generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Unbelievably, it gets worse because even if you totally ignore Tommy Lynn's cells, if you examine the physical evidence you realize that it prohibits Julie as a suspect. It excludes her. And one thing that the state used at her trial was a blood spatter expert who testified in a way that is unscrupulous is a compliment. He took over the courtroom, he splattered fake blood all over the courtroom, and then he testified that the blood stains convicted Julie showed that she committed the crime. It showed, in fact, exactly the opposite. Julie had three transfer stains on her T-shirt that had Joel's blood on it, which were smudged. They were not transferred by a hand. They were transferred by a glove or something, something that an intruder might wear. There was blood spatter all of this room. Her t-shirt was pristine of blood spatter, and it was not cleaned. They luminoled the house. There was no cleaning that went on. And there was one blood spatter from Joel's blood on Julie's t-shirt. It was a 90 degree, that is a drop from directly above it, on her back. So when could that have possibly happened? Obviously not if she was committing the crime, could not have come from Joel. But 
easily could have come from Tommy Lynn Sells or some unnamed intruder at that time who, after he smashed her head into the ground in the backyard, dropped a bit of blood. Whatever it is, you know that she could not have committed that crime from that one drop of blood spatter. They put this expert on the stand in the second trial. As the jurors said, he ended up, after cross-examination, after telling the same lies on direct, after cross-examination, he ended up being a powerful defense witness because the blood spatter evidence proved beyond any reasonable doubt that Julie was totally innocent of this crime. And there are no eyewitnesses, obviously. There's no forensic evidence, as we've discussed. There's no motive. So the entire case hinged on that tiny amount of blood on the T-shirt. And, and we know that uh, blood spatter, it's not conducted by scientists. Typically, it's conducted by detectives or other law enforcement personnel who may be trained in, in crime scene stuff, but they're not trained in science, generally speaking. And, you know, the idea that they can get up there with impunity and with authority and make assertions to things like they did in this case that are so damning when they actually don't know what they're talking about or they're lying, it's another reform that needs to be made so that this doesn't happen again. Right. The blood evidence really was just as you described in the first trial. It was distorted. It was lied about. And unfortunately, Julie's attorney at that time was not equipped to take that expert on, that and the unanswered question of who does this, who breaks into a home to kill a child, leaves an adult essentially unharmed, and forgets to bring a murder weapon, uses the weapon from the house? Well, the answer is Tommy Lynn Sells. He's done that in half a dozen cases across the country, but they close their mind to the possibility that a person like that existed. Well, I think a big part of the reason that juries convict people wrongly, especially in a case like this, is because it's terrifying to let this kind of a crime go unanswered. And we presume that our detectives have done their jobs and brought us the right people, that our prosecutors are prosecuting sincerely, that they've done their jobs and they've worked hard and they know that they're prosecuting the right people, that we can trust the people in the stand when they're under oath, that they wouldn't lie. And sadly, we are finding that we can't assume these things. And that's a terrifying reality that's got to change. And if we as a culture and as a country, as a group of people, as jurors, don't hold accountable prosecutors and detectives and law enforcement, it won't change. I would add, by the way, that at the time we began Julie's case, I shared the naive assumptions that Julie just said that we have to disabuse people of, that the prosecutors are there to do the right thing, that the police are there to do the right thing. That had been my experience. I was a prosecutor for 10 years. The Illinois state's attorney general 
supervise this. When I saw the evidence in this case, I said, we need to take this to the state's attorney general because they will dismiss this case when they hear this. And my colleagues who were more experienced said, no, that's not going to happen. But I insisted on doing it. We went to the highest levels of the state's attorney general and I said, look, here's the evidence. Here's what we're going to say in opening statement. Here's how I'm going to cross-examine your expert. Forget about Tommy Lynn Sells. Julie could not have committed this crime. Here's why at trial, you're going to be humiliated. We are going to absolutely not only prove that you can't prove her guilty, we will prove her innocent beyond any reasonable doubt. You should not put her through this. Stop this now. And I was convinced they would. Obviously, I was wrong. When they arrested me and took me to the county jail, I still thought when they figure out they've made a mistake, it's all going to be okay. When they did what they did to me in that county jail, I realized not only did they not care, they're fully aware you're innocent. That's not an issue on the table. That's not what this is about. People have no idea what's going on. When they think privatizing prisons is an option, think about what happens when we privatize military. We call that mercenaries. We take the heart out of the military. We take the ethics out of it. We have mercenaries. Think about what you're doing when you take the value and the concern for rehabilitation out of correctional systems, you privatize that and make that a business where the bottom line is only money? My God, what is going to happen to our country when that is a done deal? Let's go back to this sham trial that you experienced. When the jury goes out, when they came back, did you still hold on to that belief that justice would be done? You're talking about the first trial? Yeah, when the jury came back. You hope and trust that the truth will come out and that they will have heard it because you know you're innocent. But they didn't. Obviously, they didn't. And they did find you guilty and convicted you of first-degree murder and sentenced to 65 years in prison. At that point... How did you even remain sane? Now you're looking at spending the rest of your life in prison. 65 years is very unlikely you would survive that. But you stayed strong to fight, and then along comes the team from the Center on Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern, Karen Daniel and her team of uh, Avengers, right? How did you first come in contact with them, and, and what did that mean to you when you found out that you were going to be represented by this? Well, let's just call it what, what it was. I mean, she was a legend. Um, first, I want to say something about the time I was in there and what happened with the conviction. And um, I remember getting a letter from one of the jurors saying, can you please forgive me for convicting you? And I remember one of the jurors saying something about, I just needed her to look me in the eye and tell me she didn't do it. And my attorney at my first trial would not let me take the stand. I wanted to, but he, he wouldn't let me. Wow which was very frustrating. 
because obviously I would have been able to, you know, tell them, um, you know, I didn't do it and what had happened and all those kinds of things. And, you know, getting that letter and having someone say, you know, I'm so sorry, I can't sleep at night. Can you please forgive me? And I remember thinking, well, you know, that makes two of us that can't sleep at night, but for different reasons. Um, there's just this futility that you feel about life when something like this happens. It takes away your faith in humanity. And that's why I wanted to answer these questions together. Because when Karen told me that they were going to take the case, I didn't know all of what that meant. But over time, I came to understand what it meant. And I got my sense of confidence in humanity back through each hearing and um, hug through every time they sat beside me when she told the judge that she would be proud to have me as her daughter, which she wasn't old enough to have me as her daughter. She would have been my sister. And we became, I, I mean, she did for me the things a sister would have done. The team from Center on Wrongful Convictions, again led by Karen, um, they really did the work that the authorities should have done and could have done in the first place, right? They found the killer. They got a confession. Can you talk about how the whole thing unraveled? Really, the identity of Tommy Lynn Sells happened by an accident. There was a 2020 episode on Julie's case, and it said, essentially, this is weird. This woman you know, again, had a good and loving relationship with her son. There was no reason in the world she would do this. There was no hard evidence. On the other hand, who does this? So it was just weird. And nobody breaks into a home to kill a kid, leaves an adult essentially not mortally wounded, and forgets to bring a murder weapon. A woman who was writing a book on a Texas death row inmate, Tommy Lynn Sells, wrote to him and said, I just heard somebody say on TV, nobody does this. We know that's not true because she knew, as he did, that he had done this time and time again. He wrote back and said, now this is six years after the fact, was it in Illinois? Was it two days before Stephanie Mahaney? And the answer, of course, was yes and yes. And she said, why do you ask? And he says, because I did it. And then these prosecutors went down and they took a tape-recorded confession, an 86-page tape-recorded confession. Now, this is a drug-addled guy who had committed 50 murders across the United States. So he got what the subdivision looked like wrong. He got what the outside of the house looked like wrong. He got a number of details wrong. But... He described the conflict with Julie in exactly the same terms as she did. He described where he got the knife exactly right. He described Joel's bedroom exactly as it was. But they ignored all that. Northwestern came along. Karen Daniel, who was easily the most brilliant 
legal mind, the most fearless lawyer with whom I have ever worked. She put all of this together. She put together the corroborating evidence that I described earlier about the bus terminal, about the fact that he had been arrested in Winnemucca, and all of the things that gave teeth to this. And she wrapped it up in a beautiful package and filed a habeas petition. They vacated the conviction really on grounds that had little to do with any of that. They vacated the conviction because the prosecutors had been appointed pursuant to the wrong statute, which is kind of a technicality. But at the same time, they had all of this evidence in front of them. So they vacated the conviction. Julie is free for a minute, and then they rearrested her. That's one of the fascinating things to me about our court system and our legal system. They specifically said this is not about Tommy Lynn Sells. You know, our court system works that way. It's not about this, i.e., it is about this. Uh, it's not about what's logical. It's not about necessarily what's true. And it's certainly not necessarily about what's right. It's about legal precedent. It's about technicalities. And so it really is a game. It really is a puzzle. It really is a whole different language. And that's why if you don't have the right attorneys, you don't have a chance. It doesn't matter if you're innocent or not. At least that's what I've learned. Yeah. And if I hadn't had Karen and Ron and Jeff and the attorneys that I had, I would be locked up in a very, very bad situation for a very, very long time if I were still alive. And it's also quite shocking that the state chose to retry you, but they did. By this point, everybody knew you were innocent. I mean, I, I, I don't know if Ron would disagree with that, but I think that it's it's fair to say that this was now a game, right? This was about protecting the wrongful conviction. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the prosecutor, he offered me 20 years due 10, both trials. And both trials, I said, look, if you think I'm guilty, you need to be giving me the death sentence because whoever committed this crime needs to have capital punishment. That's what needs to happen here. This is not the kind of crime that you give somebody 20 years due 10 for. That's just an insult to Joel. And for him to say, oh, this woman's evil, which he went on record as saying after I was acquitted, but to have offered me 20 years due 10, that's just, well, it, it doesn't equate. Well, and they did know at that point that Julie was innocent. They said at the bond hearing, the first appearance that we had on this case, first time I stood in front of the judge, said, Judge, you have to let her out on bond because you yourself said this was a very thin circumstantial case that, first of all, she appeared at every pretrial hearing and the trial. Second, this circumstantial case went off on one unanswered question, who does this? Now, not only do we know who does this, but he's confessed. And the judge turned to the prosecutor and said, yeah, what about this confession thing? And here are the words that the state uttered over a decade ago, but they are burned in my memory. This is almost verbatim. Oh, judge, don't worry about Tommy Lynn Sells. 
no one will ever hear about him because, first of all, Texas will not honor an out-of-state subpoena for a death row inmate, which is true, by the way, because they are afraid that he will go to a non-death penalty state and they won't get him back to kill him. And we immunized him for the death penalty. So it is not a statement against penal interest. It is hearsay. No jury will ever hear about Tommy Lynn Sells. I said, wait a minute, Judge. I do not hear the representative of the people of the state of Illinois to be telling you that he intends to try this woman for essentially her life while concealing from the jury the fact that he took a confession from a serial murderer that he knows is corroborated by independent evidence. I don't hear the representative of the people of the state of Illinois to be saying that. But if you hear him to be saying that, you ought to say, not in my courtroom. This is not happening. Judge looked at me, looked at him, and then imposed a significant bond. So everybody knew that Julie was innocent at that point. And it was, unfortunately, as Julie describes it, a game. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So the retrial goes forward. This time, it's all out in the open. They're not able to railroad her the way they did the first time. This time, Julie, you took the stand and proclaimed your innocence. And, of course, ultimately, the jury saw through the bullshit, their bullshit, and returned a not guilty verdict. And I've read that your knees buckled in the courtroom. Is that is that right when the when the verdict was announced? I fell. Yes. I don't remember falling. I I mean I know I did, um, but I don't I don't remember that part. Um, what I remember is looking at Ron and him looking at me, and um, I was just really, really, really thankful. I'll tell you what I remember about that day. First of all, we were at lunch, <laughs> and Julie said, so in your experience as a criminal defense attorney, uh, how long does it take the jury in cases like this? I said, well, when the jury comes back, uh, I'll let you know because then I will have <laughs> one criminal defense case. She said, what? You've never done this before, I don't you think? I didn't sound excited or worried. I know I didn't. <laughs> don't you think you should have told me that? I said, well, no. I guess that's a no. Do you feel underrepresented? <laughs> uh, but we were, we were in the courtroom, and look, there was no evidence. It was overwhelming. There was no chance, and yet you're standing there, and... I remember waiting for the verdict, thinking, I don't know what tomorrow looks like if they say guilty. I, I don't know how to go on in life. So I can't imagine what Julie is thinking right now. And when they said not guilty, I turned to Julie. Uh, her knees did buckle. I went to catch her, missed but we picked her up, you know, and we all hugged. Uh, it was just an enormous relief that finally she could put this aspect of the nightmare behind her. She would never again be put in that kind of danger. For all the years I've been doing this, and I'm constantly, everyone who knows me knows I'm always out there talking to strangers about this cause People will say to me, well, um, well, there's two questions they ask. One is, was the prosecutor disciplined in any way? And the second is, tell me the person who suffered so much, the exoneree, was compensated by the state. In your case, we know the answer. The first question is no, as it is in 99.99% of all cases. And the answer to the second question I think you have to look at compensation broadly to answer that question. <laughs> There's a lot of different kinds of um, 
riches in life. I think I appreciate life more, and I have been blessed with some of the most amazing people in the world through this experience. I think that there are lessons that you learn when you walk a desperately lonely path where your shadow is your only company. And there is a homecoming when you find out that the world is full of wonderful people. They've just been hidden from you for a while and you thought they were gone. So, yes, I've been compensated. So you just heard the grace and generosity and strength of character and just uniquely wonderful spirit that Julie has to have survived with that kind of an attitude and that kind of a desire to help others. The answer to your question is no. The state didn't compensate Julie. You know, it is unthinkable what she has had to bear and and the way she has borne it is is equally unfathomable, but in a diametrically opposed way, in a wonderful way. And the the way we're gonna stop this is for people to stop electing prosecutors who only care about statistics and not justice. It's going to be to have people stop electing judges who are tough on crime and more interested in justice. It's going to be people who take their oath as jurors seriously and not have the naive presumption because you can't have it in today's world. There's too much evidence that people are wrongfully drawn into these courtrooms and to have jurors who have an open mind and not just listen to the prosecution. And people like Karen Daniel devoted her life to doing just that, to opening people's eyes time and time and time again, to opening the judge's eyes, to open the Court of Appeals' eyes, the Supreme Court's eyes, jurors' eyes, citizens' eyes, through her indomitable spirit, through her in incredible intellect and energy. And we need more of those. And we need more Julies in the world without the nightmares preceding it. And we'll get them. Thank you, Jason, so much for having the show and taking the time to do the research you do. And I would just really beg people to do, you know, what Karen did. She didn't just see problems. She went about finding solutions. One little endeavor at a time, and you just put all those things together, and you start solving the big problems. And again, just be informed. When you know things, when you share information, when you educate others, these things can't continue to happen because people won't allow them to. Information is very, very powerful. So be informed. Well, that's very well said, and I, I appreciate you, know, you really are doing my job for me because you speak so eloquently about the problems and the solutions, and I think we're moving uh, as a society in that direction. Um, there have been a number of positive developments recently, too numerous to get into now. 
interesting. And of course, also check out Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern, who do such wonderful work. And of course, the Innocence Project, innocenceproject.org. Now, closing arguments. Usually I ask for closing arguments, but you guys already did them. I think at this point, all I can say is, wow, I'm really uh, honored to have had both of you on the show. I think the work that you've done and you continue to do, Ron, is exemplary and uh, heroic. And Julie, I said it before at the beginning of the show, and I'll say it again, you are a hero to me and to so many others. And I don't even have the right words to say, you know, what your perseverance and what your, uh, the best word is grace, as Ron said, means to all of us. It makes us all want to fight harder, longer, and better and to you know, help people in your situation and to help prevent others from falling into this trap going forward. So thank you just for being you, and thank you for joining us on Wrongful Conviction. This has been an Pleasure. amazing experience for thank me. Thank you, Jason, so much. So now it's with a heavy heart that I want to offer a tribute to one of the true legends in the field of writing wrongful convictions, a woman who we lost too soon in a tragic accident a very short time ago. And that person is Karen Daniel. Karen was the uh, director of the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern. Moreover, she was a warrior. Uh, she's described by so many different people who worked with her, who loved her, who were represented by her as someone who was tough as nails and at the same time was warm and soft and was a, a hugger and someone who cared deeply about the people that she represented and that went far beyond the courtroom into all aspects of her life. So I think today we have two people who were directly touched by her in different ways and I can't find the right words, so I'm going to turn it over to you. I guess we'll save Julie, we'll save you for last, and let Ron first please share your uh, remembrances of this wonderful woman, Karen Daniel. Karen was an angel who was lent to us from heaven for too short period of time. She was a fierce, fearless incredibly persuasive lawyer. And she was also a teacher. She taught countless students about what is important in a law degree. Uh, she taught me everything that I know about wrongful conviction cases. I had never done any. I was a prosecutor in a previous life and then a corporate lawyer. She had tremendous patience. She had tremendous intellect. Anything that I do Anything that her students do are all because of what Karen taught us. And, you know, the ripple effect of the pebbles that Karen tossed into the ocean with all of us would cause a tidal wave. She is one of the few people who we can appropriately use the term hero. Karen changed the world for the better. Julie, over to you. Karen's story is the stuff that legends are made of. She was quiet, kind of like the sun is. She could make things grow. 
She was there in ways that mattered. She wasn't always just saying she would do things to make the world a better place, but she was doing them. She helped exonerees with legal matters beyond their exoneration. She would help with their medical emergencies, with personal tragedies, family events, celebrations. She was there when they made memories, and she was there when their heart was breaking. She was the one that walked you to the cab when everybody else had already gone home from the party or was still partying. She made sure you were safe getting from here to there. When you would have otherwise been alone on the road, Karen was there. She was the sister that you didn't have, the best friend you always wanted. She wasn't about money. She was better than money could ever hire or buy. She was priceless. And the changes and the things that we all wish we could do in life, she did. And she passed that on to a lot of people, the desire to do that, the methods for how to do it. And I know that all of us who were blessed enough to know her, who are struggling still with losing her, are trying to figure out how in the world we're going to do something to prove that we deserved having had her in our life. That's beautiful. Thank you, Julie. And thank you, Ron. You're welcome. Karen, wherever you are, you're gone but never forgotten. And we're sending our respect and appreciation your way. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at wrongfulconviction and on Facebook at wrongfulconvictionpodcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number One. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.